Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's look at Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19 this morning, because it is Palm Sunday. And it's very important that we go over these major events. I don't do this every single year. Uh, actually, I had a study ready, and yesterday the Lord said, no, I want you to do the, the Palm Sunday study. And so I went over my notes again, changed some things. And so here it is. It's like uh, going on our trip to Israel. Uh, some people over the years have asked me, well, are we going to do any different sites this, this time? Um, there are no different sites. I mean, every now and then you'll, you'll, you'll come up, they'll dig up a new site. Um, but basically, Israel, you can fit 15 Israels in Arizona. That's how, it's the size of New Jersey. So when we go to, to Israel, we hit all the major sites, the Sea of Galilee, the Garden Tomb, uh, Capernaum, so forth and so on. And so when we, when you, we read stories, it's kind of like, wow. Jesus was on the Temple Mount. We know where he was. He was in the treasury. He was in the ladies' court. So when you, when you read your Bible, it turns into HD, high definition. So if you'd like to go with us, you can go with us. But I know not everybody's going to be able to do that. But as we go over the scriptures, just keep that in mind. This is real. This actually happened. We will be coming down, not the literal Palm Sunday Road. We don't know exactly where that road is. But you are looking across the Valley of Kidron, to the Garden, or to the Gethsemane, where the olive trees were and still are, some date back 2,000 years. So we know exactly, okay, that's the area over there. There was a road coming down. So as we read this, guys, if you're, if you're an unbeliever, this is real. This is not just a fanciful story. This actually took place. There was a man who lived named Jesus. And he came to die for all of humanity. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I just want you to know right up front that God loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. And the way that we get to heaven, that anyone gets to heaven, is through a personal relationship with God via Jesus Christ. It's not by any good works that we would try to do. The Bible says no one's good, no, not one. And so we all, myself included, need a Savior. So, Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethanage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you. So he would have been standing up on the mount. And those of you who have been to Israel, right now your brain's already going back there. You are on the mount. You're looking across the valley. You're looking into Jerusalem. So it would have been go into Jerusalem. Where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. That, that's a miracle. Nobody's ever sat on this colt, colt. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt. Now, never been ridden before, guys. For those of you who know horses, this is a miracle. (laughs) This is a miracle. And they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. 
Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, such as healing the lepers, healing the blind, raising the dead. Um, All of these miracles were prophesied in the Old Testament as being uh, one of those prophecies that would be fulfilled by the Messiah, specifically by the Messiah saying in verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You see, they knew what was going on. The religious elite understood that what was going on was they were proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. There's no mistake about that. And so basically, they're saying to to Jesus, you tell your disciples to stop that. You're not the Messiah. We know who you are. You're an imposter. We want to kill you. The religious elite wanted to kill him. And you'll find out on Friday how they went about doing that. Verse 40, but Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And that would have been the first rock concert right there. Ah, Stones and rocks do not have spirits, but God could have performed a miracle and the stones would have shouted. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Very, very important to our study here this morning. Very important. Then, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. What city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day. I have that highlighted in my Bible. I encourage you to highlight it. Please pay very close attention to this fact here. The things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you. That happened in 70 A.D. Jesus here prophesying. And your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and Lord, we thank you for this snapshot in eternity. This actually took place. And we thank you that we have your word and your word verifies all of these things. So we just thank you for that, Lord. What a blessing. Lord, we pray for, I pray for the gift of teaching and I pray for our hearts, for the anxieties we might be dealing with right now, the anguish, the fear, the joy, whatever it might be, that we'll lay that at your throne, that we might learn from your word about this wonderful day that took place just a couple thousand years ago. Just a few days, according to your time schedule. So, Father, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you remember last week that we took note of this in Revelation 9.15. Revelation 9.15. So the four angels who had prepared for the hour and day and month and year. We'll forego that last part. The emphasis that I wanted to show you was God is a God of order even when we think things are out of order. So the four angels who have been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. You see, God's timing is perfect, and Palm Sunday will show us that fact. 
A young man by the name of Daniel was carried away to Babylon from Jerusalem in 605 BC, the first carrying away. There was actually three. Babylon is where the two southern tribes of Israel have been held captive, and it's now roughly 550 BC. After roughly 55 years of living in captivity, God reveals through the prophet Daniel one of the most, one of the most important prophecies in the Old Testament. This prophecy tells the reader exactly when the Messiah would come to this earth for the first time. Exact date. How do I know that? Well, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, we read this, 9.25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, very important, not the temple, because the temple was already being rebuilt by Zerubbabel, but the walls were broken down. And if you didn't have protection, anyone could come in and cause havoc. Interesting. Walls were so important then, and they still are now. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. Now moving ahead, roughly, moving ahead, roughly 100 years to 445 B.C., we find that our Heavenly Father is about ready to inspire another man by the name of Nehemiah. And you can read Nehemiah today on your own. I'd encourage you to read it this week. Incredible story. He was born into the Babylonian captivity. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. How about if we look at Nehemiah chapter 2? Now, if you're, again, you're not familiar with your Bible, that's okay. Get familiar with your Bible. I encourage you to move away from your apps. When they shut your phone off, you're going to want your Bible. And you're going to want to know where you can find things in your Bible. Get used to your Bible. So a little white rectangle there. It's roughly where you're going to find it. Two books before, two books after. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Nehemiah was a man of prayer as you read Nehemiah. You're going to find that out. And a heathen king by, named Artaxerxes was going to be used by God. By God. To help accomplish his heavenly will and show us that his timing is exact. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. That's pretty exact, isn't it? When wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in, the pres- in his presence before. You don't want to be sad when you're the cupbearer, because that means there's poison in this cup, and you're going to die. Not a good idea. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. There was such an intimate relationship between the the cupbearer and the baker because they could basically kill the king without him knowing it. So there was a very intimate relationship between those people. And this is why the king is noticing this. We have an intimate relationship. Something's not right. You have sorrow of heart. We're friends. Something's going on. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. (laughs) Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Where is he talking about? Jerusalem. Then the king said to me, what do you request? 
So I prayed to the God of heaven. Great example here. Sometimes when we're having a conversation and somebody might ask us a question, you don't have time to go, you know what, I'll get back with you tomorrow. I've got to go home and pray about it. You need to just throw up a prayer right then and there. Remember what Jesus said? The Holy Spirit will speak through you. Now, we need to do our part. We should be in our devotions. We should be reading our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation, not out of religious duty, out of a love relationship. So when somebody does ask me a question, I can give them an idea of who God is and why God is and why did God send Jesus, so forth and so on. Not say, well, you know, just come talk to my pastor. Bad answer. So you just pray. Just throw, God, what do you want me to say right now? They, they answer, you know, just throw up a prayer. That's what Nehemiah did. Didn't take a half hour. This is about five seconds. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? Notice that relationship here. So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. This is amazing. The favor of God. The favor of God. Now we know that Nehemiah went before the king in the month of Nisan, which we just read, which is in the March-April time frame. And once the king gave the commandment to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, very specifically, the walls, the prophetic time clock spoken of by Daniel started to tick. Now in Babylon, which is located in modern-day Iraq, there was a palace in the city of Shushan, and in this city, there have been excavations that have produced writings which give us the exact date. This is just so amazing. Gives us the exact date of the command to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That date was March 14th, 445 B.C., the exact date. Sir Robert Anderson, an archaeologist, took that date and multiplied the number of weeks spoken of by Daniel. The number 69 by 7 days in a week, which would give you 483 days, which were then translated into years. You see, when we multiply 483 years by 360 days, the Babylonian calendar of that time, we come up with a total of 173,880 days. Now, don't think you're going to get this in a half hour. I still don't get it. People spend decades studying this, researching it, figuring it all out. You have to either trust it or you don't. And you can determine that by driving your car. You're either going to trust everybody's going to stop at this stop sign or you're not. I've seen many people blow through it. So don't get high-minded like, you. well, you know, I, I just don't believe that. Well, you believe a lot of things that you can't verify. Trust me, think about it this day and you'll realize that. Using the current Julian calendar, we now know that there's roughly 365 and a quarter days in a year. So when you divide those 365 and a quarter days into the 173,880 days, Sir Robert came up with the date of, what date do you think he came up with? April 6th. 32 A.D. Just by chance. Just, just random. You know. Hurricane blowing through a junkyard and after it was done, a Cadillac is there. It's, just, it's unbelievable. Brand new Cadillac. See, this is the exact date when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on the colt of the donkey. The exact date. 
And you can verify this information in The Coming Prince, chapter 10 by Sir Robert Anderson, who lived 1841 to 1918. So verify it. If you're skeptical, educate yourself and verify it. Very important, because it is a fact. Time is important to us, but there is no time in heaven. Thank God there's no clocks. There's no sundials. There's no hourglass with sands in them. There's no phones. Praise God. No watches. You see, God created time so that we might understand how much he loves his creation. And there's a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes that says that God makes all things beautiful in his time, which is, you know, kind of hard to grasp sometimes on this side of heaven, especially in dealing with these last two years, the way this whole world is going. But as we just read in the Gospel of Luke, the Messiah came into Jerusalem right on time the very day. And what did we read? I'm going to read it again because you're probably not there. But in Luke 19, verse 41, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day. That's why I have that highlighted. You see, the religious elite, they had the scriptures and they had the calendars. They could have figured out if they would have taken the time, they could have figured out this is the exact day that the Messiah is to come into Israel, is to come into Jerusalem. We're going to be at the gates looking for whoever that might be. They could have known that, but they missed it out of religious pride, out of stubbornness, out of ignorance and arrogance. They missed it. Don't do the same. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there was no other day that it could have happened because God is a God of order and time helps us to understand that. You see, God is a God of order. You know, just before the service, we were back there praying and uh, got a sad story, but yet a rejoicing story. Uh, Two gals, uh, they were going to graduate in two weeks from GCU. We're coming back from New Mexico Uh, They lost control of their car. They gained control again. They were on the side of the road. Uh, A semi slammed into the back of them and killed both of them. And I heard them say that they're best friends because the dad has a daughter going there. They did everything together and they got to go to heaven together. And some people say, what a tragedy. Their life was cut short. No, it wasn't. It was right on time. You're going to die. Everyone in this room is going to die. You don't know the day or the hour, but you are going to... It's an amazing statistic. Even the Center for Deceit Control can't mess this up. 10 out of 10 people still die. You are going to die. Do you know when? You have no idea. So how can we apply what happened 2,000 years ago into our lives today? Well, if we believe the scriptures and we know that God has foreknowledge, that he is omnipresent, that he has the ability to have everything under control, even when it appears otherwise. Think about this statistic. Low 70s is the average lifespan worldwide. So low 70s, 71, 72, 73. In the U.S., it's the upper 70s. I think it's 78 for females and 76 for males. But 76, 77, 78, average. So if we pick 78 years 
That would work out to be 28,489 days you have to live. Or 683,748 hours. Or 41,042,800 minutes. And what is that? 2,461,492,800 seconds. Do you know how many seconds you have? There's going to be, I visited Mary Whitson yesterday, so be in prayer. She's getting, home to gra- she's getting ready to graduate. Going to go home and be with Jesus. Do you know the exact second you're going to die? God does. He knows the exact second. He's got it all under control, guys. That last one sounds like a lot of time, doesn't it? A billion. Now, as you're nearing the average lifespan of 78 years, seconds go by really fast and become very, very precious because you know you're on borrowed time but yet aren't we all on borrowed time but let's look at some causes of death to bring some reality to this current situation looking back at uh, to 2019 at some stats of the united states pedestrian deaths in america pedestrian deaths 6590 just minding your own business pedestrian deaths motorcycle deaths 5014 Choking on food. That's why I always eat dessert first. <laughs> Every time I go to a reception, I go right to the dessert table because I might choke on dinner. Let's get the dessert out of the way. In 19, 5,228 people died of choking. <laughs> Falling downstairs. Anybody fall downstairs in your life? I did when I was a little kid. We had a really, it was, it just popped into my mind. We had a stairwell, we were on the, and then the, the door was to the left, and it was just really tight. One time I rolled down it, and I rolled in such a way I couldn't get up. I think I was like six, seven, eight years old, and they had to open the door. <laughs> I just kind of plop. It's like, hmm, falling downstairs, five, 2,521 people died. Falling downstairs. And 36,096 died due to vehicle accidents. Just kind of random stuff. You can research a whole lot more if you want. But we need to throw in this last one. In 2019, more than 250 deaths were reported worldwide due to people taking what? Just back up a little bit more. Just back up a little bit more. A little bit more. (laughs) 250 people worldwide died of selfies now for you young people my wife and i have been taking selfies for 44 years we just couldn't get it instantly you know because it had that little film strip that we had to send we've been doing it for 44 years so get over yourself this is not new there's nothing new under the sun according to stats worldwide there are four births every second and nearly two deaths per second i just I, i looked this up go ahead and feel free to look it up How often does the oldest person in the world die? (laughs) It's not a trick question. Just punch it in there and see what happens. It's crazy. It's it's mathematical. They they go to the math. Of course, the answer involves mathematics, but the bottom line is the oldest person in the world still dies 100% of the time. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. It might be 110, but they died. But these are just a few of the stats on death that take place in our everyday lives, guys. Every day. And why do I mention these stats on a day like today? I mean, it's Palm Sunday. Shouldn't we be celebrating? Jesus rode in Jerusalem on a donkey. 
It is. It's a celebration. And the point to the story is that there wasn't a random day in time. It was a day that was recognized hundreds of years earlier and written down for our benefit and for their benefit, but they missed it. Jesus is coming back, guys. Oh, don't talk about that. My grandmother talked about that. Well, if she died, she was a Christian, she's in heaven. Jesus came back for her. Jesus is still coming back in an exact day, guys. Again, why the stats on death? Because we're all going to die whether we like that or not. How about if we look at Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17. You see, we're all living in eternity right now. Every single person in this room, you're living in eternity. You just have not taken that final step. You just have not taken that final step yet. You will. I will. I'm excited about it. I hope you are. But what we decide about Jesus on this side of heaven, and I know most of you in this room are Bible-believing Christians, but maybe there's one person that's not yet. I want to let them know that God loves them and Jesus died for you. What you determine with Jesus on this side of heaven will determine where you spend the rest of your eternity after your death. God sends nobody to hell. You choose to go there yourself by rejecting Jesus, if I'm speaking to you. Don't blame God. Acts chapter 17 then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, which is always dangerous to be religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Notice that, life, breath. He gives you breath, he takes your breath away. And he is made from one blood. Notice that. How many races are there? One race. The enemy wants to cause division in our country and in our world. Division, division, division. There's one race. And you know, scientifically, now scientifically with DNA, science has proven that it can all be taken back to one man and one woman. Scientifically. So don't come up with me about the whole science thing. If you say you believe in science, then check it out. Believe in it or don't believe in it. But say you, don't, but say you believe in it and then you don't. That's called hypocritical. From one blood, every nation of men, mankind, to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So that, why is that? So they would seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Even here this morning, if you're here as an unbeliever, The Holy Spirit is para in the Greek, and para means around. The Holy Spirit is around you, and right now you're either uncomfortable or you're mocking in your mind or you're ridiculing or you might be going, well, you know what? This makes a little bit of sense. That's the Holy Spirit stirring you to make a decision about Jesus, and what are you going to decide? That's the most important thing for for your whole life. What are you going to decide to do with Jesus? Everything else means nothing. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. 
Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The Holy Spirit is reaching out to every single person on the face of this earth. And because we just don't understand or comprehend it, we think that can't happen. No, God loves the whole world. Psalm 39 says, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days? I've been thinking about this ever since I received Christ in the spring of 1978. I am so excited about seeing Jesus face to face. I cannot wait to die. It's going to be fantastic. 44 years. Are you excited? Or are you worried about who's going to get elected? Please register. Please vote. Please do your homework. But God has a plan. God has a plan. He raises up and he takes down. Verse 5, indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, tip to tip. And my age is nothing before you. God's in eternity. There's no clock. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. James 4, 13 says, Come now, you who say, tomorrow, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? I mean, think about those two gals. So excited about coming back for their graduation, seniors, going to walk down the aisle and get their diploma, thinking about the life ahead of them, maybe getting married, having kids, and this and that. And all of a sudden, boom, they're in the throne room of God. They were Christians. They were believers. They were sold out for Jesus, from what I understand. So they instantly, instantly, at 186,000 miles per hour, per second, Got their brand new bodies. No more 110 degree days. Praise God. <laughs> what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. How old were they? Probably 22 years old. Hmm. How old are you? 80? How long is eternity? <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's a vapor. And we'll wrap it up with this. Psalm 90 says, So teach us to number our days. What's that saying? Keep our eyes on heaven. Keep our eyes on heaven. You don't know when you're going to die. And then somebody else is going to waste it all anyways. Kids and grandkids, they don't care. They'll spend it. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's, that's the bottom line. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. I'm only passing through. God, what can I do for you? I'm going to be responsible and take care of all my earthly duties. I'm going to do all that. I do all that. But also, God, what can I do for you? Because at the end of it, I want to have something in heaven. You said to do that, so that's what I want to do. You see, if we come here today to just do another Bible study on the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem, and we don't apply the principles that God gives to us in our lives, then we'll have missed the true importance on his riding into Jerusalem. Again, because everyone has an expiration date. It comes with, it's that little dash. It comes after that dash on the tombstone. We don't know when that's going to be, but God does. And since we don't know when it's going to be, how then should we live as Bible-believing Christians? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're going to keep living the way you want to live. But at the end of it, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm just warning you, God doesn't send anyone to hell. You're choosing to go there yourself because you're saying, I don't need your God and I don't need your Jesus. Okay, that's fine. You were told. You won't be able to blame anybody, not even God. 
You see, as Bible-believing Christians, with the anticipation of knowing that there's an exact day when Jesus is going to return for his bride, the church, an exact day, the rapture. Again, since there's going to be an exact day, either by our death, therefore going to God, or by Jesus coming back for his bride, the church, the rapture, how can I apply at least one principle to my life today? Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Again, you look up that word men there, it's mankind. To males and females. Again, in this world, there are only genetic males and there are only genetic females. Young people, don't let the enemy try to tell you anything else. That is science and that is the Bible. God created science, not the other way around. Science didn't create God. God created the Bible. Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So this is for you and me today. What can we get from all this? What can I live, do in my life? And when we look at that word lust, notice it says worldly lust. Typically, typically, anytime anybody hears the word lust, they immediately think of sex. That's not what the word means. The word, the word is a desire for that which is forbidden. A desire for that which is forbidden, which could be obviously sex outside of marriage or adultery, but homosexuality. Um, I, I got to be a millionaire. So I'm going to do everything and anything I can to, to get my first million dollars. So you're lusting after money. Uh, maybe it's a hobby. Nothing wrong with hobbies. Nothing wrong with money. But is that your goal? I'm going to have the fastest car, the beautiful paint job. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And then you die when it, before it happens. Somebody else will take care of it. So for you and I, Worldly lust, what are we placing above God? What do we have such a desire for that it totally distracts us from what God has for us in our lives? We're just so consumed by it. We should live soberly, aware of the days. What's happening in our lives? Guys, this is unbelievable. If you haven't figured this out yet, thing is, it's exponating. I mean, this is just crazy that people are debating whether we should be allowed to teach kindergarten kids to question their gender. In America, we're debating whether this should happen or not. There's no debate. But yet adults, supposedly, are leading the the charge. Even in preschools, encouraging children to question their identity. Sick righteously and godly in the present age. That's for you and me to do. Even in this present age of filth, it's vile. Looking for the blessed hope. What's our blessed hope? We're going home. And glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going home, guys. The word of God is accurate. You can absolutely trust it. Again, it tells us that God loves all of humanity. It tells us that God sent his one and only son to die for you. It tells us that Jesus is not just a great prophet, Islam, an angel, Jehovah Witness, the spirit brother of Lucifer, Mormonism, just another good guy, Hindu. No, Jesus is a son of God, which would make him God and given him the name Emmanuel, which in Hebrew means God with us. Jesus is God. What are you going to do with that? 
You see, God really does love the world. There's no reason not to learn more about him and trust Jesus as your savior because it's your eternity that's at stake, not mine. I know I'm going to heaven. The majority of people in this room, I think you know you're going to heaven. But maybe you're here today and you will die. It's just a matter of time. How much time do you have? I've asked that several times. Have you figured it out yet? Do you have an answer yet? Please come up and tell me afterwards. You don't know. Don't play games with your eternal state. Don't let religion, we're not here religion. We're here for a relationship. Don't let family members, don't let friends get in the way of your eternal decision. You see, Jesus came right on time, the first time. And he is coming again, right on time. For those two gals, he was right on time. It's time for them to go home. For Mary, who's 92, she's probably going to graduate this week. It's going to be right on time. Not a second early, not a second late. Can I explain that? I'm not God, so don't ask me. But I know God is loving, kind, and merciful, and that God has a plan for our lives. Make sure that you know where you're going. That's the bottom line. Make sure you know where you're going. Father, we thank you and praise you that as believers, we know we're going to heaven. And this world is just going to get more vile, more sick. Your son guaranteed that. He said it will be as it was in the days of Noah. It will be as it was in the days of Lot. So, Father, we're not surprised by the things that are happening, but we are very grieved. It's very grieving to see what is taking place in our society. Praying upon P-R-E-Y. Praying upon the children to bring confusion into their minds, to turn them against their parents. Father, we pray, give us wisdom and discernment. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give us supernatural love for these people that will remember to pray for them for their power is so short-lived. They will be powerless when they fall before the throne in judgment. So Father, we pray for their souls that they would wake up and realize that they are deceived and they are fighting against God. Father, we thank you that we can be lights in this dimming world. And as the world get dark, gets darker, we just get to be brighter. So again, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that you will be glorified in and through our lives this week. You know, as the saints are praying, we have some extra time. And maybe you're here today as an unbeliever. And what does that mean? That means if you were to die right now, right this very second, do you know if you'd go to heaven or not? And if you say to yourself right now, mm, I don't know, then you're an unbeliever. And God loves you and sent his son to die for you. And you can become a believer by just asking God through a simple little prayer to forgive you. And there are people around you right now who love you and are praying for you. And they might not even know you. They're just praying in general. Lord, open the eyes, the spiritual eyes of those who are blind that they might receive Jesus as your Savior. That's my prayer too. So I'm going to offer up a prayer, and if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, you just say this prayer in your heart. If you're sincere, God will hear. And what will happen is the Holy Spirit will come in you, and you will be sealed. You will be saved 
until the day you die, God will say, you are now my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. So if you'd like to pray that, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior, if you say, you know what, this makes sense. I do. I want to receive Jesus. Then just pray this simple prayer. God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you sent your son to die for me. And so I accept Jesus as my Savior right now. I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life. I'm not sure what this all means. But I trust you're going to show me because you're a loving God. You're going to show me in your word, your Bible. You're going to show me through prayer. You're going to show me through my Christian friends. So God, I accept. I repent from my sins and I accept your free gift of salvation. And I say thank you that I can now call you Father my father and that I am now your son that I am now your daughter in Jesus name amen father we thank you for this time we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your faithfulness and lord we know you have a plan even with what we see happening in our culture in our country in our world you are moving the chess pieces exactly where they need to be to fulfill all scriptures So keep us focused on heaven, Lord. Keep us sober, that you'll be glorified through our actions this week and that we'll plant, water, fertilize, that we'll put a stone in somebody's shoe, that we'll love them enough to tell them the truth and just ask them a lot of questions. For your glory, Father, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.